Hello, and welcome to Control-Alt-Delete, the epic 4G touch of podcasts. <laughs> That's a good one. That comes from uh, Joe V. Greathead on Twitter. It's just like it sounds. Just type it in. Congratulate him. He made it. <laughs> uh, I'm Neelai Patel, uh, the editor-in-chief of The Verge. I'm joined, as always, for these next few weeks. Uh, as always, for these next few weeks. That's how it's going to go. Uh, as always. Bye. As ever. <laughs> for a finite amount of time. Forever, but for a limited time. Uh, bye. Executive editor. Sounds like we're selling something. Editor yeah. large Ver- recode. Walt Mossberg, the Walter Cation himself. How's it going, right. Walt? It's going it's <laughs> it's going great. You know, people who listen to this who who use Slack know that there are now you can set a status on Slack, which is an idea that's only twenty five years old, going back to <laughs> AOL Instant Messenger. But uh good for Stuart Butterfield, that's good. And uh, uh you do it. With an emoji, and mine is an hourglass with the sands of time running out. So that's my status. That's good. It says pre-retirement. Pre-retiring. That's, that's what I'm doing. So now Walt is just, he's literally wandering the hallways of the Verge, pulling aside <laughs> the kids who work here and slapping some sense into them. It's I just, I, honest to God, just did that with somebody. <laughs> <laughs> See? It's great. We love it. Uh, but Walt, you were saying today is the, the, also the, the seven-year-to-the-day anniversary of when you and Kara launched All Things D. AllThingsD.com. Now, yeah. not all things D, the conference that had been going for uh, would have been would have been just about ready to go do the fifth year, which was the one where we had Steve Jobs and Bill Gates together. But the website, uh, which took us longer to convince the the company we worked for to let us do, um, launched exactly seven years ago today. AllThingsD.com. Wait, tell me not to get too inside, because I'll tell the listener. This week is is kind of a freeform jazz session with me and Walt. Walt didn't write a column. We're doing some video stuff with him later in this week, so he you know he set the column aside. So we're, the podcast is just a bunch of chit chat about the news, and there's actually right. a lot of news. And there's a lot of news about. which we will get. But to. not to get too inside baseball, but on the theme of freeform jazz session, tell me, I've always found it curious that you launched the conference without a website, but there was there's there's like backstory here. Yeah, the backstory is that I really want to keep this short, but Karen and I each had columns in the Wall Street Journal, which was no small thing, mm-hmm. um, whether it was a business column or investment column, a health column. Ours were both tech columns. They were different. Mine, everybody, I think, by now is sick of hearing. But mine was you know, about reviewing products and doing commentary about products. And Kara's was not about products at all. It was about the business and culture of the Valley, which she still is the absolute master of writing about. And so we were columnists at the journal, and she wanted to start a blog. And this was in the late 90s or the very early 2000s, and they didn't want to let her start a blog. And I tried to help her convince them, and they just, when I say them, the folks at the Wall Street Journal and at Dow Jones. So sort of simultaneously, we had this idea we, we would go to the same tech conferences. We thought they all sucked or most of them sucked because they weren't journalistic enough. Mm-hmm. Either they had great guests who were allowed to give, you know, sales pitches, basic elevator pitches basically, or they had the occasional interview, but the people conducting the interviews who could be super smart, I don't know, VCs or sometimes journalists, didn't we think, we thought, do a good job. So... We did convince them to let us start a conference that would be journalistic, and that's how we started the conference. And then we kept working on them about Kara's idea for a blog, which became a website, and that's why we did the conference first and then the website. Wow. I mean, the history there is well known, but that story to me of the conference and then the website, now everybody does it the other way around. It's like the whole thing. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, let's talk about the news. Right. I only get so many shots to get Walt history out on this podcast. I'm going to take it when I can. But a lot of news just in the past three days here that we should dive into. Do you want to start with Amazon? Because the thing they put out today is crazy to me. Yeah, I do. Uh, so uh, obviously – so what they did was they brought out a version of the Echo, which is um, has a camera. And it is designed uh, – they call it the Echo Look, and it's – it has a number of vectors associated with it. one is it one is what can you do with the Alexa platform and the you know the echo hardware uh, that's just interesting it could become eventually a security camera it could become a communications device but the other vector that's very important is this is about apparel and selling fashion 
And so the they call it the Echo Look, and it's basically a digital mirror in a sense that is has artificial intelligence and is controlled with your voice. It does everything a regular Echo can do, as I understand it. But its principal purpose uh, or distinguishing thing is that you you stand in front of it. It takes a picture of you wearing some outfit, and it will let you see how you look in that outfit photographically. It will also take a video, which a, a mirror can't do in your house. And then it will, I don't know, you can have a lookbook, which I guess is – history of like a it's like a giant pinterest board of how you've looked every day and you can compare that or you can compare two outlook uh, outfits side by side see what they look like all on an app that goes along with it and i just think it's fascinating uh obviously the apparel business is a big business we know jeff bezos has wanted to get into it but what fascinates me is i mean what's the over under on how long it's going to take a pervy hacker to to <laughs> you know hack that camera yeah and and I mean you're, you're actually saying we're gonna put this now it was in your kitchen some people put it in their on their nightstand the current echo that does not have a camera people are nervous enough about it that I know people including my own wife who like to put it on mute a lot of the time because they don't believe it's not listening to you prior to your saying the the magic word Alexa or there are some others. Now it's going to have a camera, and it's and and it's always and it is meant to be in your bedroom or your dressing room if you're yeah. rich or you have a dressing room. Yeah, I have a staging room. Do you? Yeah, yeah there you go. <laughs> do you have a do you have a gift wrap room in I, Downton Abbey? Room, I've got a room with all my clothes, and then a, another room just for spiky bracelets, and then a third yeah. room where I, yeah, I yeah. just full length mirrors where I examine myself. Yeah. Okay. Well, then you don't need this because you're you're good. But. Um, and and this is all in Downton Abbey. Yeah, I mean, I, all, I tweeted a picture it's of your all in my house. Mans. It yeah. looks remarkably like Downton Abbey because <laughs> I just stole it from a Google image yeah. of Downton Abbey. But anyway, um, yeah. So this is the privacy implications of this. I mean, the, the, there's an econ, this giant e-commerce implication. There's an AI implication, like who keeps the, all these pictures and how pri- how encrypted are they and how private are they and all that. Can the camera be hacked? And uh, those are all huge. And then there's the e-commerce fashion implication. But I honestly, I I can't believe we won't have a story very soon about somebody having hacked this camera. I can push back on that a little. I mean, there are so many Nest cams in, you know, houses across – in every room. Like everybody I know with a kid has a Nest cam in their kid's room. I mean, I have a – cheap Logitech camera that I use. I mean, they're not being hacked. Those stories aren't co- – I mean, like, there are best practices here. Amazon's a big company. I imagine they've thought about it. I think that the 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 security weak point here is your Amazon password. It's not – you know, it's social engineering to get into an account that somebody's using, which is the weak point for everybody. So if Amazon's going to put this out. They need to do – they need to push their users towards – personal best practices like two-factor and that sort of thing. You but know, hacking all, the back end of, of these systems, they're starting to get better at, at locking it down. Okay. You might be right. Uh, I don't care really which way they hack it, whether they Fair. hack it through a phishing attack, which, by the way, is the way many of the major giant attacks on uh, government – I think that's how all they the got into attacks. the DNC. Yeah. That's I remember they, all the celebrity iCloud photos were leaked. That was all. Yeah, and I think that's right. It wasn't that they back. The Apple was going around saying, and I think it's probably true, that nobody made an actual found a way to breach iCloud itself. They just got somebody to, you know, to give up their password. But Apple did have to clean up their their user facing yeah, password na- hygiene. Yeah. Yeah, right? they I started actually pushing people to two factor, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I actually helped someone set up an iPhone just this week and it's almost impossible to say no to two-factor now on the Apple uh, ID, which is interesting. Um, uh, Makes me think that they're just going to make it impossible, which is the kind of thing Apple might do. Um, But putting, let's forget about Apple. I mean, I'm just saying, I I, I get your pushback. I'm just saying the temptation 
and I'm sorry, there are sick people yeah. uh, who want to see somebody in the act of dressing or even just somebody in different outfits, I don't know, feel like they're inside someone's bedroom. I think the temptation is going to be enormous and and there will probably be a market uh, horribly and sadly, but there probably will be a market for pictures and um, – even clothed pictures are partially clothed. I don't know. Especially because the library is going to be stored forever on Amazon. Well, so that's, there's like, that's there's right. There's that lookbook part of it. Maybe you can opt out of that. I don't know. But anyway, I think the oh, – I'm taking the over on the over-under and it's not a, a long period of time. I mean it, we may not know about it for a while, but I, I think somebody's going to figure out a way to hack it. Even if it's the way – even if it's not a frontal – you know, attack on Amazon systems, but it's just social engineering. Somebody's going to figure out a way to get in. Yeah. I mean, so let's talk about the product itself. And yep. what I think, you know, the news is just out. We haven't really sat with it. We haven't obviously haven't seen a thing or used it. But it seems like what Amazon is trying to do is find other reasons for you to have Echoes in your house, right? They want to distribute their voice assistant through every room of your house. Just buying more Echoes and they literally sell the dot in six packs is one way to do it, and that's interesting. But I think they're making a bigger play for why you should put one of these in your bedroom. So this thing leaked a while ago, um, and everyone just thought it was a security camera, which if it was just a security camera, it would be kind of interesting. But for them to say, we can bring AI into other stuff that Amazon does, namely selling you clothes, that's kind of – it's the security aspect aside – it's really interesting to see them find another vector in to selling you an assistant that I don't think any other of the major companies certainly has tried. There have been little companies that have tried things like this, but the, the big companies certainly haven't, especially not tied to a retail operation the size of Amazon. Well, there is no retail online retail operation yeah. the size of Amazon, but or offline. There's not many offline uh, ones the size of Amazon. But here's the thing. I stand by all my comments about worrying about the security of it, but I agree with you 100% on the both the value of the product potentially and the and the intelligence of it as a business scheme uh, uh, plan, not a scheme plan by Amazon, which is <laughs> – well, it's a scheme, but, you know, what that has a connotation. Uh, I think um, – I think that particularly with fashion, which is very much involved with how, how something looks on a person and with the decision that people uh, make every day about which of my available outfits to wear. You know, some with me, it's often just like what's clean. There's one <laughs> thing that's clean and that's what I'm going to wear today. Yeah. But, um, you know, and there are even, even people with a – far better fashion sense than me, which is 99.9% of all people um, have, you know, those laundry day situations. But in general, there's a lot of people that uh, have some choice about what to wear and do look better in certain things for certain kinds of days or situations. And right now they look in a mirror and this there's nothing wrong with looking in a mirror, but most people, for instance, don't even have three-sided mirrors like they do in department stores. This will give you a better way to look, a way to directly side-by-side compare, a way to look at all – You know, maybe, I, maybe I, I don't remember when I last wore this particular combination and I wore it and the lookbook will tell you that you wore it you know, last Thursday, so – that might be cool. That might be great with you, and it might or it might feel too soon for you. You know, yeah. it just it just enhances it. And I'm sure there will be, although it, I don't think it was explicitly stated in what we know so far. But as you noted, I'm sure there will be some links and ways to buy, like accessorize this outfit or. Oh yeah, it's it, going to suggest that you buy. a scarf. We noticed you wore this. Yeah. E- even even just something as simple as. You know, obviously, women have a lot tend to have a lot more clothing choices than men, or 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 there's just greater variety there. But even with men, I mean, they might say, "Hey, we notice you like this shirt. We see that you have three colors of it that you wear a lot. Would you like? How about these other three colors? You know, I mean, and that's a totally basic, simple example. There's just lots more examples. Well, it strikes me that there are, and I used to, I can't remember which one I had, but there was a, a big moment when. Boxes, company. There are lots of companies that would send you boxes of stuff, 
right? And you would tell them, I liked this thing, I'm sending it back, I like this, yeah. more like this. This strikes me as Amazon just sort of automating that entire process and getting to a point where they're like, it's spring, we picked out a bunch of spring clothes for you. Like, we can just push the button and ship them to your house right now. And I, I think that's really smart. I think the security and privacy stuff is they're gonna have, they're just gonna have to deal with it. Up front, head on, this is how we're locking it down because it's just gonna be the question. But if they can get through it, and it's a huge if, I think a lot of people are going to really enjoy saying, I don't have to worry about buying clothes anymore. Like, this service is telling me what I'm wearing, when I'm wearing it. They're saying, for me, would just be like, do you need to order more black T-shirts? Yeah. <laughs> um, but Well, I, the, I, that, the famous Steve Jobs thing, which is not a myth, it's true, Yeah, was he bought, I mean, he literally told people, including me, I don't want to spend any time picking out clothing. Yeah. You know, and he was basically in shape guy most of the time. And so most of the years. So he bought 70. Now he bought super expensive ones, but he bought a bunch of mock turtlenecks and a bunch of jeans and in the summer, occasionally shorts, and, which was not a good look, by the way. But <laughs> but he didn't. Nobody told him. Uh, and uh, and, that, and so he spent no time. And there are, are other people who are powerful like that where in their work, how they look isn't so important. And so that that's what they do. And, um, you know, I don't I, – I, let's just break this down, what you said for a minute, because I do agree with you. I don't think if we – if I understand correctly the initial stories based on the initial announcement, I don't think we're yet at the point where they're going to be helping you shop mm -hmm. yet, although we – you and I both believe that. Um, but just at least helping you get dressed in the morning – uh, in a way that's attractive and, uh, you know, has variety and is a little better than looking in the, the mirror, uh, I think a lot of people are going to want to do that if if the security thing isn't going to yeah. hang them up. And that's a big if. And, and then the second stage of what might be multiple stages is helping you buy things that go along with it. And pretty soon that's where you're buying your clothes. I mean, Amazon has been – I don't think – maybe our, I think of Amazon as where I go to buy virtually everything, but I don't really buy clothes from Amazon. Um, and I suspect most people don't think of it that way. But it is actually a pretty big part of their business. They actually have um, a fairly large fashion studio here in Brooklyn where they – not here. I'm in Manhattan, but by my house in Brooklyn – uh, where they do. I love how you wanted to make it clear that you were in Manhattan and not in Brooklyn. Well, I don't I'm know why. I'm not physically here in Brooklyn. <laughs> I'm not physically there. But I it, get it. In yeah. my mind, it's just on the street from my, my house there. Um, I'm not in Brooklyn either. Yeah. No. Um, but they, it's a large fashion studio where they, you know, they hold fashion shoots for that part of their website. It's, a, it's like a big deal. Well, and in fact, Jeff Bezos himself, I don't know whether this is still true, but as of, I don't know, 18 months ago or so, he commented a that he personally spends a huge amount of his time on the apparel sector. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's really interesting. I can imagine that if that if this, again, if the security thing isn't an issue, if they can make it not be an issue, and they start walking down this path to first helping you dress right and then helping you buy things, there's no reason why. There's a whole bunch of companies that will now do custom uh, clothing mm -hmm. to fit your particular body type or shape or, you know, how people – you have things for when you're overweight. You have things for when you've lost the weight, you know, whatever it is. And suddenly you find that you need to go out and buy something new, but maybe you would rather have something custom. And that sounds super expensive and it always has been, but there are sites online now. Certainly I know you can get men's shirts done, um, uh, which may be – the most one of the most basic uh, uh, pieces of clothing in a very custom way, like with all kinds of vectors that you can measure and just order them online and yeah. return them. Why can't Amazon get in that? Maybe they are in that business and I just don't know well, they, it. But they're putting on I a camera. For all we know, it's going to figure it out for you. Yeah, um, you know, this that's is part right. of a larger. That's absolutely right. Why, why couldn't it just map all the point? You know, turn this way, now turn this way, now turn this way. And then it's got all the points of the shape of your body and the you know maybe you have Sounds bigger like shoulders well i whatever. gotta say amazon <laughs> measuring the points of my body 
I understand, <laughs> but where I want if that it's to go at all, that's why the first statement is if the privacy is right. Yeah, and that's I think that's it. But it's interesting because the the context it's in is the dramatic collapse of retail jobs and the retail economy that's going on right now. And this is one less reason to ever go to a clothing store. So it's, you know, it's it's a camera that's going to help you buy shirts. But the larger context of it is so Well, huge. shirts, dresses, skirts, yeah. Yeah, blouses, whatever. everything, suits. I assume everything. it's just always going to suggest a scarf. That's For whatever reason, my, my experience with all those, like, we'll send you clothes, they would just send – it was always scarves. And I was like, I don't – Okay. I appreciate the effort, guys. I'm just not going to become a scarf person overnight. Jeez, I'm trying to visualize you in a scarf. <laughs> I tried it. I gave it a shot a couple of times. I don't know. I don't pull off know the everyday we, scarf. And I don't know if, we, if I would have come to the verge if you wore a scarf. <laughs> All right, let's move on to the next thing. Uh, yeah. I'll give you a choice. You could, we, we could talk about Twitter. Or we could talk about Unroll Me. All right, let's start with Twitter. Yeah. Because uh, it'll be quick. We're, we're addicted. You and I are addicted to Twitter. So are probably a lot of the people that listen to this. But the whole world is not. A lot of the world is not. <laughs> and a lot of the United States is not. And, you know, we've talked about a lot of the problems. It's too hard to use for new people. And it's uh, it has not done, I think, remotely, even close to enough on harassment and, you know, sexual and death threats and rape threats and all that kind of stuff. So they have a lot of problems, but one of the problems that Wall Street worries most about is are they growing and what's their revenue? And so today they announced their earnings, and we don't normally talk about that kind of stuff on here, but it's interesting. They, I think the bottom line was they did better on earnings than Wall Street had been expecting, you know, off a pretty low bar, and, but still better. And they said they grew $9 million is that the right number? Nine million users in the last quarter. It was like fourteen percent or so. Yeah, right. But it's still nine million. At the same time, I'm sure coincidentally, Facebook decided to release the numbers on Instagram. <laughs> right. And Instagram gained a hundred million users in four months, uh, off a bigger base, by the way, where it's you know typically hard. The law of large numbers, right? It's harder to grow if you're big, but. You know, they already had twice as many people as Twitter or something like that, and they added 100 million more in just one more month than it took Twitter to add 9 million. So, um, I, I, you know, it's good that tw for Twitter and Twitter investors, which does not include us. I was, I always like to say that because it's true. Um, uh, it's good for them that Twitter is growing. Mm -hmm. um, it's, I would not say the growth is spectacular, and so I don't think they're – growth problem or their financial problem is going away. Yeah. By the way, daily active users were up 14%, just to clarify that. But yeah. their, their total and number one, is still. One thing I really love was they talked about resurrected users, which apparently is something they – is a term they have used before, but it just escaped me until today. They call us – they have a category called resurrected users, which is – People who have Twitter accounts and were using them but, but, but haven't used them for, I want to say, 30 days. Is that what the criterion is? And then they suddenly they are back in the game, so they call them resurrected users. <laughs> and and uh, I'm, I'm not making – Everything's I'm very morbid in this, in it, this world. It, well, or it's Easter season. I don't know what it is, but um, – uh, They have risen. <laughs> they have risen. But – why have they become resurrected? Well, the speculation – it's more than – I think they may have even said something about it in the earnings call – is Trump. There was a – apparently the, the longer – you know, the first hundred days of Trump has been good for Twitter. Not fantastic for Twitter, but good for Twitter. Yeah. The question is if they're depending on that, how long does that effect last? And, you know, I just don't know. I saw a good blog post for a, a, a pretty famous blogger – our audience may not know him, but his name is Bob Lefsetz, who's been blogging on the music industry forever and ever and ever, and he writes these incredible rants. Uh, and he wrote one last night before the earnings came out, and his point was, and I think, Walt, you would appreciate this, Wall Street cares about money and cash and earnings and user growth. But the other way to look at Twitter is to say, this is where the action is, right? It's, yeah. it's the only company that has totally 
dominated this market of what is happening right now. And if you look at it through that lens, then yes, they still have all of the problems they have with harassment and the product is too complicated to use and all whatever, all that stuff. But every major journalist is on it. All the president's on it. Every, I mean, just everyone is on it. There's politics, Twitter. Yeah. There's, there's government Twitter. There's media Twitter, which is includes us, I guess. There's, yeah, the worst of all Twitters, I have to There's tech Twitter. There's where we overlap a little. I mean, sometimes people in tech and pe- people in media get into fights or agree with each other or whatever. And and there's um, uh, showbiz Twitter, you know, and there and it's the it's a medium where people which is used by people to communicate with each other in obviously short form uh, every single day, even on weekends. Um, it's obviously slows down a lot on weekends, but still, I mean. You can – if you tweet something provocative enough on a Saturday morning, it's going to kick up a kerfuffle even on Saturday. So yes, I agree with uh, with him on that um, and uh, uh, so that's – but that's part of – that's part of the whole thing about, well, are they going to be around, which gets you back to the financial stuff and, um, you know, look, to quote our mutual friend – Casey Newton, how hard? I'm gonna mangle this, but I mean, like, really, how hard is it to edit a, to allow people to edit <laughs> yeah. tweets? I mean, really? Yeah, it's compared and, to Instagram. I I posted Instagram the other day, and like an hour later, I realized I got something wrong and I edited it, and the world did not end. Right, and not only that, um, if it's like editing on Facebook, which I suspect it is, you doesn't edit. It says it was edited, and you can click on it. And maybe see a journal's history of it if you're afraid somebody's changing facts or something. But I mean, like I, I tweeted something the other day and I used I instead of me, and I felt and I care about that because I'm a writer, right? So I thought, well, I look dumb. So I had to then comment on my own tweet, correcting it. But I used it also to attack Jack Dorsey for not letting me edit the first tweet. <laughs> of course. Yeah, I mean, you know, so it's um, – I think people value it, value Twitter. I think people complain about it. I think a lot of the complaints are justified, particularly the harassment stuff. They don't have a handle on it. Um, you know, editing tweets matters, but it doesn't matter as much as – I I take the current editing situation if they got a handle on harassment. Um, and then the financial stuff is just, you know, part of are they going to survive? And, you know, so they're surviving for another quarter. They actually look a little better than I think Wall Street expected, which is good if you're a Twitter investor. I think the stock went up a, what did you, I think 11% or some yeah. pretty big number, at least for a while. And so that's good. Uh, but there's work to be done on Twitter. They still have lost a lot of big, they can't seem to hold on to big executives, and there's a whole bunch of issues. Yeah. So that's Twitter. That's our Twitter topic. And I will say the last thing, they want to start broadcasting a video 24 hours a day, which is just one of those things where it's – if you buy into the notion that Twitter is where you know importance happens in the feed in real time or on what's happening, suddenly streaming cricket matches or whatever it is they said they were going to – I think it was lacrosse. It was lacrosse today. It doesn't help you. <laughs> Like it just doesn't. It, it seems like their their money is going in a different direction than their value, at least right now, and they're going to have to resolve that. But so it is. Okay, yes, unroll me. I agree. Say so, so. You tell tell the basic story on unroll me. <sighs> this one is this. It's so tied up in what's going on with Uber. So Mike Isaac in the New York Times wrote a great piece. Mike used to work for you. I think Walt hired uh, Mike once yeah. upon a time. Yeah, I mean, Mike had been hired by Wired and some other places before, but it is true that I hired Mike at one point with yeah. Kara. Kara and I hired Mike. And then he traitorously abandoned you for the New York Times. Yeah, traitorously. <laughs> but no, Mike is a— it's one, of those, it's one of those cases where you hated to lose him, but you couldn't— Yeah. You couldn't do anything but feel good for him, so— yeah. And he is yeah. a, just a tremendous reporter, but he had a great feature in the New York Times over the weekend about Uber— uh, Travis Kalanick, the way, the way he acts, all this stuff. And one of the pieces, it, 
maybe one of the smallest pieces of the, in the grand arc of the story uh, was that Uber bought data from a company called Slice Intelligence, which is one of the many, many, many data brokers out there. Which I had never heard of. I don't know about you. They do a lot of app store stuff. Um, so, like, you know, every, every time there's some, like, data about the app store, Slice Intelligence is in my inbox being like, we can tell you all about the app store. They're, they're mm-hmm. one of those. And you see them kind of cited in all these stories all the time. But they also sell it to corporate uh, entities, competitive intelligence. So they operate – they bought a company called Unroll Me, which I think has gotten good reviews from a lot of people. Around yeah, me. I've used it. Um, it. seems to be good. Unroll Me is a service that goes through your inbox, finds all of your spam and ma- old mailing lists and all this stuff and unsubscribes for you. Yeah, I think it's primarily things that are kind of subscriptions and – it gives you the opportunity to say uh, – I mean the reason that you install it as an extension I think to Gmail primarily yep. is um, what you want to say is there's a lot of these mailing uh, uh, newsletters that I never subscribe to and that are not relevant to me and that are spammy or whatever. And But it's a nightmare to think about unsubscribing from all of them. So Unroll Me will do that. There are some other people that do that too. Right. But so Unroll, Unroll Me, me does it for free. And <clears throat> the company, and this is debatable, but the company is believes it is upfront about how it makes money, which is as it goes through your inbox and monitors for spam and unwanted mailing lists and all this stuff, it c- collects data about what's in your inbox, particularly commercial messages, it anonymizes that data, we hope, and yeah. then it sells that data in the aggregate. So they sold some data to Uber about the volume, location, frequency of Lyft receipts in unroll subscriber inboxes. Chaos ensues, right? Because Uber is evil, many people believe, or not evil, or acting unethically, and yeah. they bought the contents of email inboxes. And this story was all about Uber tracking people when they shouldn't be tracking people. So it all got, in my opinion, somewhat unfairly conflated and then dropped on this company called Unroll Me. That said, I think it points to something really important about the internet economy that most people don't think about, which is all this free stuff means that you're turning over the data and payment and the way that they make money is by selling that data. And you don't get a say over who they sell the data to. And this happens to every service that's free is effectively monetized in this way in one way or another. So when you come read The Verge, we put ads in front of you. A lot of those ads are targeted. I mean, you know, anybody listening to this has had this happen. If you come to The Verge and you've just been shopping for something and we don't have a big custom ad campaign running, you tend to get an ad for, like, the thing you were looking for. It's just a part of the system. Now, we're not selling your actual browsing data to anyone, but it's targeted in that way. Unroll Me is selling the contents of your inbox, hopefully, presumably anonymized and aggregated and whatever. And they just ran into an incredible amount of trouble because whenever people come face to face with that reality, they don't like it. But then they also sign up for these services left and right because they're free. And that challenge to me is it's just going to keep happening and happening and happening. But, I mean, maybe people are going to start paying for it. I don't know. What do you think? First of all, I think there's an interesting – you're right that there's always a cost. It's that old statement that if you don't know what the product is, you're the product. Right. And, um, and that nothing is really free. Uh, so, for instance, Google and Facebook also monetize your data. And everybody knows it and some people complain about it. And when they change it, it's a big story. And when they put up new – privacy type features that's also a big story but i think there's a difference that this unroll me story highlights which is it's possible for people who even people who worry somewhat about privacy to say okay i will accept the free goodness i get from google and the free goodness i get from facebook which we have discussed many times the dangers of them being you know owning all the advertising and owning all the news distribution, whatever. But put that aside for a minute. People can say, I will accept the goodness I get from them, knowing that they're taking my data and and using it to target ads inside their system. And I understand that trade-off, and I'll take it. I think that one of the differences here, and it was you're right, it was exacerbated because it was Uber, which right now is is has a very 
bad reputation, much of it earned. Uh, but um, one of the differences is that Slice turns out or Unroll Me, because people didn't know who owned it. They just thought it was Unroll Me, a friendly service that did a friendly thing for you, um, is selling it to third parties. And that's the difference. Google and Facebook are presumably not selling it to third parties. Amazon knows a lot about you, and it's not selling it to third parties, presumably. I don't know. Maybe they are, but I don't think so. I think they see it as too valuable, actually, to sell to third parties. But these guys are selling it to third parties, Uber being one of them and one with a bad reputation currently for ethics. But who knows who else? And who? And even if you can read on Romy's privacy policy – you don't know the privacy policy of wherever they're selling it to. And I think that's an interesting distinction. Yeah. I mean, another company that we talk about pretty positively regularly is TiVo. TiVo used to get into a lot of trouble around this because what TiVo sells is anonymized, aggregated viewing information. Now we don't – I don't think anybody thinks about it anymore – but, you know, every year on the Super Bowl, there's a bun- there, I get a PR email from TiVo that's like, the most watched commercials of the Super Bowl. What, where, which one did people rewind and watch again? Which ones did they skip through? Where did people pause? That's, they're just giving away anonymized, aggregated viewing data. They're not, they're not charging before. They're, they just want the stories. <laughs> but right. th- this happens, I think, more than people think. And in some places, it's normalized. And in some places, it's not. For example, uh, Apple, who we think of as being probably the best when it comes to privacy. It is. Does collect a ton of anonymous usage data on phones. And it comes up in ways that, you know, again, we don't really think about it. But, for example, we used to complain a lot about the lowest storage level on the iPhone was, what, 16 gigs? Just, yeah. Just not enough. And while I'm sure this happened to you, but we, we would go into some of these briefings together and say, this is ridiculous. And Apple would very confidently say, well, you know, we look at the stats and most people don't have their iPhones full up. Right. Where are they and getting so, those stats from? They're yeah, that, that's right. aggregating but, and anonymizing the information and, but and making here's the claim. App, Apple is even – so, okay, so I made the distinction between Google and Facebook, which I think you would agree as far as you and I know, and we may be wrong. Somebody will correct us if we are. Or I am. You, 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 you can decide if you want to agree with me. I don't think they're in the business of selling it to third parties because I think they see it as a hugely valuable oh, I'm asset, sure. asset for themselves. And so the difference between that and these unroll me folks and other lots of other folks like them who run a service that you use for free, but they're selling it to third parties and you know their privacy policy. I think Apple is even on the even a little farther to the to the side of the spectrum where Google and Facebook are because Apple is using its data, like how much storage people use on their phones, to mostly make product decisions or business decisions like can we can we sell Neli some storage because Apple doesn't give too much away. It does give – I think it gives a little storage away but not much. Not it's Competitively not as good as – Google or somebody else, because we know how Apple monetizes itself. Yeah, it, mon- it, the monetization- it takes the ports off the computers and sells them back. <laughs> that's <to you>. right. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's that's a new that's a new monetization path for them. But but the the principle the principle monetization of the iPhone or the iPad or the yeah. Mac is done when you cross the threshold leaving the Apple Store. Right. That's it. I mean, you know, you may pay it out in installment payments with a carrier or with Apple, or you may have paid for it all at once. But whatever it is, that's where they're making their money and not from targeting advertising, which is the Facebook and Google thing, and not from uh, certainly selling the data. So I think there are stages here. Apple is – if you care – hugely about privacy, but you still want a a good smartphone or a good tablet or a good uh, laptop, Apple's your choice because they, their business model, and I have to, I think it's honest to say their principles are such that they're not, you can be as certain as you can be about anyone, any tech company, that they're not going to either misuse it or sell it and that they're going to try very hard to protect it, even from the FBI. 
and it's been proven. I mean, they, they, they took on the FBI publicly. Nobody else has done that to that way extent. So that's Apple. They're on one side. But as you point out, even they use the data, but they would tell you they're using it to improve the product or make product decisions. You, know, you can like that or not. Maybe that's Maybe that's too invasive for you. But in the spectrum of this stuff, it's the least invasive thing. Then you get the people that collect a lot of the data because it is their business model, but they use it for themselves. And then you get the unroll me people who sell the third parties. And who knows, if, by the way, if Uber is the, quote, worst third party. Yeah. But the I mean, isn't the question, if it's anonymous, does it really matter? Right? I mean, like. The- what, do you know it's anonymous? I mean, that's, you don't know this company, right? No, it's true. But this is you the promise they're making. You don't know this company, and you certainly don't know the third parties they're selling to. You just don't know. It, is it really anonymous? If it, Even if it is anonymous, have they done it in a way that's careful enough that a right. clever third party can't de-anonymize it? And there's you don't a know lot that. of ways to de-anonymize things. Yeah. You don't know these things. And with, in the case of Apple, I think you you have no reason to think Apple – is perfect. And you and I could spend three pod we have spent podcasts talking yeah. about the ways they're not perfect. But we know that Apple for many reasons is trying very hard to make it hard for people to get to your private information. I mean, it's a good business strategy for them. It's it's what they do, whatever. I don't know about who, slice. I don't know what their engineering expertise is. I don't know what the third parties that, you know, Uber, we've we've already had, including in Mike Isaac's story, a fascinating example, and there are several, of Uber building apps that spoof its own apps so that the government, you know, wouldn't see the real pattern of what's going on, of Uber geofencing the Apple campus. Yeah. So, so that <laughs> something they were doing that broke Apple's rules wouldn't be obvious if you were sitting in the Apple campus using their app, not realizing that Apple has, I don't know, 29 other campuses around the world, and somebody there found it, and you know that, so they, they called them on the carpet. But that, that was the lead of my guy's story. So Uber has a lot of technical expertise, some of which it has put to evading rules and regulations and doing kind of dirty tricks against its competitors. I don't know if they can de-anonymize this information. Maybe they can. Maybe they've decided to put resources into it. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's one of those things. We've talked a lot about privacy on the show. And, like, I think it's probably incumbent on the press, the tech press, and reviewers to start asking really hard questions about privacy for every one of these products that's free. It's That's the lesson I'm taking away from this, aside from – Oh, God, Uber. But, like, that's a whole other podcast. It is. Uh, but uh, if you haven't read uh, Mike's story in Uber, it's, it's just highly, highly recommended. Anyway, last one. We've, we've got, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes here. Big news today from our nation's government. What day lately has not produced big news for our nation's government? I know. Um, but Ajit Pai, who's the chairman of the FCC, gave a big speech uh, <clears throat> and rolled out his plan. I wouldn't say – well, rolled out his plan to roll back – Title to net neutrality for internet carriers. Uh, his plan at this moment, and I'll tell you uh, tomorrow on the Vergecast, we're going to do a whole show on this. We're going to go real deep on it. But the 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 top strokes of his plan um, are to reclassify. This is a little wonky. Just go with me to reclassify. No, it's a lot wonky, but it's important. It's so very listen. important. Listen up, people. To reclassify internet providers from Title II common carriers where they're currently classified. They were, this was done in 2015. It was the big net neutrality vote. Uh, landline telephone companies are Title II companies. Um, to reclassify this, basically as from utility companies to Title I. So the FCC's charter has several titles, basically the, the sections of it. Title II is for common carriers. Title I is information services, which is where the internet was prior to 2015. So he wants to undo the Title II vote, make them information services again, and then there's just a bunch of hand-waving about how we'll accomplish net neutrality again. And the hand-waving is, it is the most extreme hand-waving I have seen from anyone in the government thus far. Other than the president. Other than the, the president. I will say this, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna say it out loud. 
Uh, I think the listeners know I've been trying to get Pi on this show or the Vergecast or a written interview or whatever he'll do with the Verge. Um, he, the president, for all of his hatred of the media, for all of his performative fake news stuff, consistently talks to the media that pushes him the hardest. So he still talks to the Times. He still talks to the Post. He hates on CNN, but he's always talking to Jeff Zuck. Like, right, right, that's true. So th- I agree there's a whole thing happening where the, the, the White House hates the media in public and is constantly talking to the media anyway because they know their business is persuasion. Pi, and he just does not talk to any media except hardcore conservative media. It is the most interesting thing. I don't know where it came from. He didn't used to be this way, but because he's part of the Trump administration, has just taken the license to only talk to the people who will be supportive of his policy choices. So he won't come on our show, but he's also not talking, as near as I can tell, to big mainstream media outlets. He hasn't sat down with the Times or anybody or anything like that yet. I say this because the hand-waving under the Title I reclassification, then we're going to have Comcast and Verizon, everybody volunteer to do net neutrality, is so extreme. Uh, well, I think you pointed out this quote. Randall Stevenson, the CEO of AT&T, is like, this is the, what a time to be alive. Yeah. <laughs> like, right. He's like, I've never been in an environment. Light touch regulation. It's been a great few months. Yeah. You know, and like what he if- said that it's – and I and my I, – I slacked Neelai. Look up slacked if you don't know what that means. I slacked Neelai earlier today and I said, you know, the guy – does the guy really have to brag that he owns the he bought the FCC? <laughs> yeah. Wouldn't it be better to just shut up and let Pi carry water for him? Yeah, it's incredible. And, and if you think about what it means by what a great few months, uh, these are things that consumers do not like. They do not like that Congress rolled back the privacy rules that govern the carriers. Uh, consumers do not like this is much wonkier, but they do not like that Pi is rolling back the media consolidation rules that let a few big companies own all of the media stations. I think Stevenson in particular is very excited that it looks like, you know, the AT&T Time Warner deal is going to go down. Um, you just look and then now net neutrality, which consumers in 2015, the outcry from consumers was so massive. Like you just go back and remember John Oliver is doing segments. They're, People are crashing the FCC's phone lines and email servers because they hate the idea of the internet being taken away from them this way. And now you've got the CEO, the CEO of, of AT&T saying this is the great – like what a great time to go back to that. And it's just – to me, like I said, it's very wonky and I promise you The Verge will go deep on it because it's a, an area of tremendous interest for me and for uh, many people on our staff. But the hand-waving under – we know you want this, but we're going back to a classification that doesn't let us do it is just extreme. And what I mean by doesn't let us do it, the FCC tried to impose net neutrality under Title I before, and the court kicked them out. They, they said, you cannot do this. If you want to do this, you have to do Title II. And then the FCC tried again. Um, Susan Crawford, who I believe now writes for Back Channel, she's a great law professor, has been all over this stuff, referred to that attempt as once more with feeling. They got kicked out again, and then they finally did Title II because that is legally how you okay. impose neutrality. So, but, but there's something else that if, if I can yeah. do a non-lawyer's take on this for, for a minute. Oh, yeah. This is really – and we've talked about this before. This is really one of the differences between telecom and tech. Title II, people who don't like it say, oh, it's all that was set up for the phone system. But it's basically a telecom a part of the law. Yeah. And it and it, it says you're a common carrier. And, and what that means is many things. But one of the things it means is you can't discriminate. You can't take money to advance someone's ability to get their content you know, to somebody faster or with higher quality. You can't slow other people down. You can't, you know, whatever. There's a whole bunch of things you can do if you're a telecom, if you're regulating a telecom company. If you're, uh, what's the other one called? There's a, what's the legal information, information service? Information service. That that has lots of interesting implications, but it's you know when AOL was the biggest information service in the country in the late '90s, 
and I may be citing the wrong law, but I think the point is the same. They had something passed that said we're not responsible for the content on our service. Yeah, that was the, that's that's a, that's, it, the, that's very much a different piece of the law. Yeah, but it's the same idea, which is to say, hey, we're like you know a a safe harbor for everything, and leave us alone, and we're the internet, and leave us alone. And as you just pointed out, the FCC as an agency has failed to prove sufficiently under the law that it can do the regulation necessary to have real net neutrality if the ISPs are treated the way an information service is treated. Yeah. So let me pull those apart because they actually are two very different things. So AOL, when they were – it's this is actually really interesting. So AOL used to – send you a CD in the mail or a floppy a disk in the mail. They would send you a floppy drive. In the mail. They were desperate. Um, they would send you a floppy or a CD in the mail. Everybody got them. And then you put it in your computer and it would install the software and then it would use your modem to go over the Title II regulated landline telephone system and call AOL. And then AOL would present to you an application interface that was not the internet. It was AOL service. It was their keyword well, it was, chats, it was their email, and eventually yeah. they put in a gateway to the internet. Um, to the web. To, to the, web. the web, yeah. And that AOL. And so their argument was, we're not providing a tele- telecommunication service, we are an information service. And so it's different. We're not a common carrier. And Congress they, passed the law. No, no, no. It. And then <laughs> CDA 230, not part of the FCC. The law you're talking about is a safe harbor provision of the Communications Decency Act, which was massively controversial. Um, The goal was more or less to regulate porn on the internet, and it sort of failed. But one of the the provisions is a thing called 230. Uh, Vox Media, for example, exists because of 230. It says that if you're an internet service – if you're a provider of services on the internet and users are submitting content for you and you don't – exercise significant editorial control over it, you're not liable for that stuff. That's why YouTube can exist, right? That's why Vox Media can have comments and we're not liable for what happens in the comments. That's yeah, why, it's not why we exist. No, Because we like, do have a lot of editorial no, control. But, so but we're liable for parts what, we of what we do. Parts of what we do. But Vox Media exists because of um, <clears throat> SB Nation blogs back in the day that were all user-generated. Oh, yeah. Right? Right. So like, right, right, it's right. built the company, that, the, the trunk of the company that the Virgin Recode and stuff are all built upon was that first SB Nation user-generated model. Reddit, the same thing. So these are very different things that all sort of come together. And eventually what happened um, was that broadband internet supplanted the landline telephone system as the best way to access the internet. And companies like AT&T... Uh, Earthlink, whatever, said, well, shit, we're information services too. We might be providing the pipes, but we give you an email address. Uh, there's a website builder you get. Uh, all this stuff that AOL did, we're doing it too. We're, we'll send them a disk too for all that stuff. But no one no one uses that shit. I don't use Verizon's email address. I don't use their like homepage builder service. I use Gmail, like every other human being who cares mm-hmm. about this stuff. But because that stuff existed... They were able to slide in under the same sort of definition that AOL was using while it was using the landline telephone system and the modems. And that to me is the big, the big mistake here. We we didn't when we shifted access from the landline common carrier telephone system to cable modems and DSL and all this other stuff, we didn't pay attention to the fact that it was just the layer that was shifting and not the services with it. Right. And that is a mistake that just keeps on coming back again and again. Yeah, but this this is no mistake, what was done today. Yeah. This was done to Well, I, I would call it benefit big. I would call telecom. it an original sin mistake. This original oh, sin. Oh no, no, no. Oh, going is, back. Re- yes. We're coming back yes. to I it mean, one more time. I mean AOL shouldn't have been able to get that thing put into the law. And you know, but on the other hand, you could argue if they didn't get it put into law then maybe a lot of things, good things wouldn't have happened. I don't know. But what what happened today with yeah. Ajit Pai is, uh, you know, is big business won a fight. It happens to be big telecom. Big telecom has won a lot of fights historically over many, many 
decades and years at the FCC, this is one of them. I loved the part of his speech today where he said part of why regulating them under Title II is so horrible is that it, it's, it's, it's bad for small ISPs. And I'm thinking, what percentage of America is served by small ISPs? Yeah. What is a small ISP? Well, so the, he is an idealist. There are fan. some, I'm sure, in some rural places and other places. And, you know, you could easily just amend your rule to exempt them or give them some different treatment on grounds that they don't have scale or whatever it is. But most of America's citizens, even I would wager in small towns, are served by the big guys. Yeah. You know, I, I will give Pi this. His messaging has been absolutely consistent forever, which is pretty Reaganomics in its way. It's if we let them all make more money, they'll invest more, right? Yeah. And that that is an argument that people make, and it's not a bad argument. Um, it's just never really been proven out by the big guys, right? So if you let Verizon make more money, they they tend not to spend more money, right? They they, they tend to spend a fixed. No, they've amount. scaled back. Spending on FiOS, for instance. Right. So I mean, at one time they were going to put fiber up to every house in any moderately populated area of the country. Right, and then they realized that that wireless was a better. But they invest where they think they can make a bunch more money, but it's not like they have. You know, they're they're going into rural areas to service those areas because they they found they're making a little bit more money, right? that is that's not been borne out and i think again pi is very consistent that he wants more americans connected to broadband he wants to see the digital divide collapse i mean he the 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 goals of the public policy are the same for all of these people the means to achieve them i i think his are just far more they place far more stock in what huge companies will do against their own interests and against their own history and I think that is really the question that he has to deliver on, right? Like, if you basically say, we're going to unregulate this so you can churn more profits out of your existing network, and that's the goal here, to start charging Netflix for interconnect, to start charging users for faster access to YouTube, that's where this goes. Okay, you're going to make more money off the same pipes. What are you going to do with that extra money? How do you guarantee that that money will then get spent wiring up swaths of Montana where only four people live. Because if you can't make that connection, then it doesn't then the your idealistic policy position and your somewhat harmful policy proposals aren't connected in any real way. And I've yet to hear him make that connection. Yep. Except for well we know decreasing regulation leads to investment. Yeah, I mean that that's what he says. And and that takes us right back to Randall Stevenson saying <laughs> It's great, it's great, great for AT and T. What a time to be Because it's light touch. What a time to be in, uh, the head of a big giant telecom empire. Yeah. All right. I think we're pretty much at the end. I think we came came to an end. I will say there tomorrow. It's um, uh, we should mention Dieter. Here he is. Um, oh, Dieter Bone. Yes, Dieter Bone, the famous. Uh, Dieter is not going to be on the Vergecast tomorrow. We're gonna, we're going to do a special. What? He's not. Uh, he's he's got some stuff to do. So what we're doing instead is. Uh, uh, Addy, Addy Robertson, Jay Kastronakis, T.C. Sadek, and I, uh, the four of us have been reporting on net neutrality for years together. Um, we're going to do a special edition of, of the Vergecast, go really deep into this stuff. It's going to be wonky, but I promise it'll be worth will, it. Will there be a quiz afterwards? <laughs> it'll be a quiz. It'll be a college course on net neutrality. It'll be great. Uh, okay. And then we'll tell you where to send your parents your report card. So that's tomorrow on the Vergecast. There's other stuff to listen to, which is not nearly so boring. <laughs> Uh, Lauren Good Show is not nearly as boring as that. Uh, too embarrassed to ask. You should listen to that. Kara Swisher does Recode Decode. Lauren's is Lauren. Is this the one where Lauren's going to talk to some expert about you know having a nuclear war with North Korea? That would be incredible. Oh, I see. Never mind. I'm, I'm a huge <laughs> nerd. I got all excited for one second. <laughs> yeah. um, by the way, if you have not read Lauren's review of the Peloton exercise cycle, you, go read it. It's the little bit of inside baseball on that one is she and I were at CES after a long day. It was like 1.30 or 2 in the morning, and we both walked back into our hotel at the, from different meetings, and we're just chatting in the lobby with like one sad courtyard Marriott hotel lobby Miller Lite in our No, hand. I know that lobby. Yeah. Uh, it's a bad lobby. 
and we were talking about this bike story and five months later she just delivered an amazing review <laughs> and uh, you know um examination of the culture that's built up around it so if you haven't read that go on the site and read that that's great but too embarrassed to ask is wonderful uh recode decode with kara is wonderful recode media with peter kafka is amazing go listen to all that stuff it's all on itunes rate it review it like i said we are Walt's retiring we're coming up on the home stretch take us out with a bang on the review front you can also tweet at me and walt uh walt is at walt mossberg i'm at reckless we love getting your feedback uh, we particularly we, do. we love getting intros for this show, um, and we are as we come up to the end, we're planning some some fun stuff to wrap this show up. So keep an eye out for that, and it'll be really fun and interesting, and there might be some more swag on the way for people. So hit hit us up, and I think that's it. Well, thanks so much. It was a free form jazz session. I think it was a lot of fun. I loved it until we got <laughs> a little too in the weeds on legal uh, that's stuff. That's all I want to do in this. I world. kept trying to pull it back a little, but anyway. It's important. It's super important. Listen to the Burgecast and you'll hear even more. It's coming. All right, we'll Thank, see you next week. Thank you, Eli. Thanks, Walt. Well.